Welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. And Russell, haunt season is coming up and we're going to be talking about a ton of haunted houses, but these are the haunted houses that are built for Halloween and they have spooky ghosts and zombies and we get scared. But today we are somewhere with a special guest that lives in a real haunted house. Absolutely we are. Uh, Mr. David Omen, thank you for being on the podcast with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on tonight, please. Now, uh, you live in a haunted house and not a haunted house that we usually talk about, like with the zombies and stuff and fake blood, <laughs> but you live in a legitimate haunted house with ghosts and spirits. And please give us a brief history on that. Um, well, you might have heard of me from a few different television shows that I've been on, starting with Ghost Hunters uh, 10 years ago in 2007. And then I was on um, My Ghost Story, then Paranormal Witness, Haunted History, uh, let's see, Ghost Adventures, and then Ghost Adventures Aftershocks. Um, and it's not like I, like I bought the house, because there was nothing here. What we actually bought was the lot. In 1998, we actually... My father told me about this lot, and I came up here, and it's like, okay. It's like, great. So my father says, we're going to build a house on this. And it's like, oh, grand. I love it. And so that's basically the background of the story here, that um, my father and I built this house. And um, interesting things were happening during construction that always left me kind of curious is the sense that I wasn't ever alone when I was walking on the job site. Um, and then uh, six months before we were done, I asked my laborers, I said, have you guys had any weird experiences over the past two years working here? And one of the guys says, yeah, uh, midsummer, six months ago, mid-July, I'm on the third level working, and I hear voices and footsteps coming from the top floor. And he says, it's about six o'clock, and it's about 90 degrees out, and he's the last one here working. And he comes up to the top floor, figuring it was my father or me. Well, he goes... And he looks around the entire top floor and he finds nobody here. So he goes out onto the front of the driveway and looks and he starts to notice there's no cars out on the driveway. And he says, I go back downstairs and I start working, figuring it's the neighbors or somebody across the canyon or the people down below. And I'm hearing echoing, the sounds echoing from down, down below. And all of a sudden he says, I start hearing the voices and footsteps again coming from the top floor. So this time he runs upstairs with a hammer and he's about, you know, he's getting all frustrated and he's going through the top, second floor first. Then he goes through the top floor and he says, that's it. There's nobody here. I'm getting home. He goes downstairs and as he's packing his bags, he says he starts to hear the sound of footsteps coming down the spiral staircase against the wood, against the planks that were in the, uh, in position for the stairs. And he says they're getting louder and louder. So he gets himself in the other room, hiding behind the door, expecting for somebody to get to the bottom of the landing and scare him. So he goes and he says it got so loud, it sounded like it got to the bottom of the landing and it stopped. So he runs out the doorway and he looks. And at the landing at the time, when we were building the house, was all an open landing space at the bottom of the third level. And he says, there's nobody there. But then it happens, he said. This ice-cold breeze just comes across the nape of his neck 
and it's literally about two inches wide, and it comes whizzing across the back of his neck. He says the hairs on his entire body stood straight up, and he screams, Dos mios, dos mios, llame boy, llame boy, which translated from Spanish means, oh my God, oh my God, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. <laughs> and he didn't come back for six weeks. And I remember this, this incident, not the incident that he's telling me now, but I remember the incident when he, was, when he took off. Because I asked the other guys, I said, hey, where's, uh, where's Juan? Where, when's he going to be back? He goes, oh, he's, he'll be back a couple weeks. He's taking care of his sick mother in San Salvador. And I'm like, okie dokie. And he was the man who was putting in the tiles in the house. And I said, well... You know, he's only got the master bedroom to finish, to put the tiles in, and I'm getting awfully tired of waiting for him. So I uh, took it upon myself to do the uh, tile work in the master bathroom. Um, let's just say, as easy as it looks, it's a hell of a lot more difficult than an average person can sit there and try <laughs> to do. And to this very day, some 15 years later, um, the tiles in the master bathroom... Are some are a little closer than others. Some of them are a little <laughs> taller than others. There is no rhyme or reason to the pattern in the gosh darn layout of the marble. These are the simple things that you take for granted when you hire somebody that's a professional and knows what they're doing. You know, they come up with some ideas on the pattern and they look at the patterns of the tiles and say, you know, we want to get this vein pattern going through. Not so in my master bathroom. <laughs> it looks like the biggest jigsaw puzzle where no piece was in the right place and the lines and the veins in the marble are going in up opposite directions, making no rhyme or reason. Color patterns, oh, you know, it's natural stone. It all has different patterns. Yeah, but usually you try to make it so that you take the darker pieces and put them in one section and then you put the lighter ones so you get a nice kind of an effect. No, not exactly in my thing. It looks like some, somebody that was less than, than had eyesight did it. I mean, Helen Keller could have done a better job than, than I did in that master bathroom. I kid you not. People go, I want to see the master bathroom for myself. I don't believe you're straight. Oh, my God. The hell is that freaking shit? Oh, my. And I mean, it's just like, and I sit there and say, yeah, um, yeah, if you think I'm lying about this story, just, just go take a look at the master bathroom and tell me what you think. And they're going, Yeah. You'd have to be the biggest dork to lie about a story and make that up and cover that as your reason why that's all the way it is. But that's the story behind the the tiles in the master bathroom and one of the strangest experiences pre-moving in here that I've ever had. Now, your house is on a famous street, uh, which, yeah. Uh, Do you want to go into that? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, about 48 years ago, about 150 feet from where my um, house stands, stood one, um, what was it, I guess you, we all know it as the Sharon Tate or Polanski home and residence, which stood there once upon a time. Um, And yeah, that's where the, the Charles Manson murders and the family, or his family, so to speak, went and committed uh, one of the most atrocious, heinous crimes in the 20th century. Um, and that took place down the street from my house. Yeah. Yeah. When you walk out your door and look to the left, you see the gates and you see the telephone pole where text climbed and it's gives you chills when you think about it. Yeah. Well, the, the gate was changed some, I guess a couple times since the original gate, which was really just a chain link fence 
as I recall, because I actually saw the original fence, there was a wooden plank fence on the left-hand side um, that was made up about 15 feet going off to the side of the road, and then there was literally a six-foot-tall chain-link fence that was the um, gate that led into uh, the, the uh, Tate property. And I actually was there way back in, back in, I guess, in the day, about 10 years after the murders. We used to go up there to hang out and check out the place. And you could literally stand in front of the gate. And there were, I remember piles of newspapers that were just accumulating in front of the gate as if somebody was not living there. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember about it, 10 years after the murders took place. Um, yeah, it was, it was strange. It was surreal, to be honest with you. Um, especially, like I said ending up 20 years after I'd been here in high school, coming up here and you know, seeing the lot in 1998 and going, okay, those, the, the, literally pointing down at the end of the driveway going, that's where the Tate murders took place. Oh, my God. And at that time, the house had been torn down and the um, gates and all that had been removed from the uh, property. And actually, they moved the telephone pole from the right-hand side of the, from the left-hand side of the street and moved it to the right-hand side of the street, actually. So nothing is really left of the original house that was there in uh, 1969. So you have this horrific crime and these horrific murders that happened, and your house has a ton of paranormal activity. Do you think one has to do with the other? Um, even though we're all very, as you say, we're joking about that commentary. That was just the uh, water cooler. Okay. Um, the fact of the matter was is, that in spite of the fact, or let me reiterate that, had the murders not taken place 150 feet down the street from my house, this house would still be vastly haunted. It's just, as you say, it's just a... um, I take it back. I'm not going to say what I was going to (laughs) say. What I'm saying, what I wanted to say is, is that in spite of the, even if what I'm saying is, is in, even had the murders not taken place there, this house would still be a very active um, location, paranormally speaking. And that's the fact that the house sits on a geomagnetic anomaly, and the way that the house is designed by the structural engineer, who basically took my father's um, architectural designs and said, look, considering the fact that we live in California and you're in a seismic zone, of such proportion, we have to incorporate some steel into the framing. So there's a lot of extra steel in the property in the framing, and as a result, we've got a large EMF, correction, DC EMF, um, which stands for electromagnetic field anomaly that exists in the house. So, um, for instance, as I've seen it, when you would come in or you would come in the house, the spirits that are around you and each and every one of us Upon hitting this environment and coming through the threshold of the house, the spirits that around you hit this environment and are like, oh my, oh wow, I can, I can derive my energy off of what's in this atmosphere in this house. And that's what happens. Um, a lot of people come here with the expectations of seeing Sharon Tate. And I use a very logical, and it might, con- might be conceived, conce- conceived as a conceited point of view, but I say, why would somebody that is a individual that is a celebrity who has passed away some 48 years ago, who doesn't know you, who you never knew, you have no connection to, why would they, trans- why would they transcend across the planes of existence to come and visit you? It makes no sense. 
So as I said, the shortest distance between a spirit and an individual is the spirit of somebody that you knew, that when they were alive, they were somebody that was close to you in some regard, and that's who's coming to visit you. Not the idea of I'm going to go to David's house and see Sharon Tate because I'm her biggest fan. And the spirit of Sharon Tate's going, um, okay, so you're one, you're, you're, you're number 10,561,000 million person that has in, in basically felt a connection to me. Uh, I don't feel that. I'm sorry. I don't know you. I have no reason to be connected to you. So therefore, I think I'm going to defer to your relative that's, that's here wants to talk to you. That's how I, you know, feel about the paranormal activity in the house. You're almost making it sound like the house in ways is an amplifier. Exactly. The house, according to Lisa Williams and Marianne Winkowski and James von Prague, is almost like a portal. Um, and I, and same with Barry Taft. Barry Taft surmised that 11 years ago when he was doing the scientific research here, he brought in all these um, pieces of equipment a digital geomagnetometer. Did I just hear a dog bark? I heard something. I think you did, yes. Yeah. Except that dog's, the sound of that dog's bark was not a sound of my dog's barking. That was like a small dog. It was like a wow. Yeah, and it sounded like a small dog. And my dogs have much deeper baritone, bellicose mm-hmm. type of barks. And I was like, what the hell was that? I, I think we just had... I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean I'm, I'm sorry to say this. I mean... I think that we just heard a spirit voice come through, and I don't know if it was a, a spirit, a human-esque spirit being humorous, going, rough, rough, which I've had happen here before, um, actually. But um, that was strange. I heard that, like, yeah. what the hell was that? And it sounded like it was, like, right at my feet, almost. That's my cat's. <laughs> Bite your tongue. I didn't want to give you any, any time off. I wasn't talking about the dogs here. They're talking about a spirit. Oh, God, cats. Always got to get your gosh darn two cents in, huh, Tommy? Good. I'll feed you after I'm done. Don't worry. You're not going to starve to death. I promise. All right. Um, sorry about that. So as we were saying about the, um, the activity... Well, what I'm trying to say is, is that the, the house is... It's almost like, like you said, like an amplifier... I use the analogy of um, taking a reptile from a cold environment and putting it into a warm environment, that the environment, the atmosphere in the environment of the cold environment keeps it very sluggish, but you put it into a warm environment, it derives its energy off of the atmosphere and the warmth in the atmosphere, and it becomes active. The same thing with spirits in this house is what we've concluded, and we've seen you know, many times before. So you had the workers um, building the house talk about things that they had happened. When you moved in, what what was the clincher for you where it's you were like, holy crap, I live in a haunted house? Um, the clincher. Well, before I moved in, I hate to say the clincher was knowing what, what he had said to me. It was pretty much and, and obvious that when I was walking around on my own, I could feel... Like I said, it was like I'm walking around on the second floor. I'm like, whoa, sorry about that. It's okay. I'm like, oh my God, it's like... Yeah, Jose, and there's no one there. And I'm like, oh, no, I felt somebody walk up and you can almost like feel this presence, like an energy just buffering against you going, all right, there's somebody there. It's like, yeah, what is it? What are you, there's no one there? Um, I guess the clincher after I moved in for stuff that was happening was just 
seeing things, seeing things out of the corner of my eye, darting like shadows moving by and going, all right, I saw something. Or having objects go from one part of the house to another part and saying, all right, I know I put my keys down on the desk when I came, when I, on the counter when I came in. What the hell is it doing downstairs in my bedroom when I haven't even been there today? And there the hell are my keys when they were upstairs on the counter in the kitchen. Um, it was just small little incremental, in, incidental things that incrementally started to kind of build up and, you know, one on, on top of the other on top of the other. And I can hear my dogs walking around below us. So if you dogs would mean mind not being so disruptive, <laughs> God help them. So it was just a matter of things. Oh, I'll tell you what it was. Um, my dog, Sebastian. Rhodesian Ridgeback. About... Um, Oh, Sebastian was probably about 95. So he's about eight years old. He's an adult, and he's pretty, you know, mellow dog. But the reason why I bought the Ridgebacks is because Rhodesian Ridgebacks don't bark. And I don't like a dog that yap, yap, yap. No, thank you. They're very territorial and protective of their territory. So if somebody's coming in to their territory, they will bark. Well, Sebastian started howling and bellowing at the front door. And I'd go open the door thinking there'd be somebody there. And I'd look and I'd see no one there. After about 10 times in incidents of this taking place after the first couple of weeks, I started to say, there's something to this. He's never done this before, ever in his life. And I said, you know, I wonder what he's sensing. And I could feel that he wasn't, he wasn't having a, a nervous breakdown. He was really responding as if there was somebody there. And it was pretty clear. And I was like, and then, the, the, then we had the experience where we had the, the knocks at the door. There'd be a knock at the door, and I'd go to the front door, and there'd be nobody there. And this was right after Sebastian started barking, and I'm like going. And it was almost like a teasing type of a gesture, like, all right, we're going to play with the dog. We know you're conditioned to the dog barking, <laughs> but what about if there's a knock, 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 and there's no one there? What are you going to say then? It's like going. And I said, I said, all right, spirits, I know you're here. I said, nobody else is doing this. You're screwing with the dog. And now you're screwing with me knocking on the door. I said, all right, I got it. I understand. Um, And it didn't really bother me. To me, it was like, okay, so fine. I live in a house where there's activity. And, of course, the first thing that I'm thinking is it's directly connected to the the murders at the end of the street. And this is long before... um, Barry Taff was here. This is going back to the year 2002, and Barry didn't come visiting until 2005. So I'm just, you know, hanging around the house, and I'm starting to feel like, you know, it's pretty cool. I built this house, and I got spirits that are hanging around here. I said, this is pretty tight. I kind of enjoy this stuff. And most people like going, hello, 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 I said, what the hell are you, what are you, what are you worried about? I said, I built the house. I said, if anything, those sons of bitches owe me a debt of gratitude. <laughs> and that's how I treated it. It's like, you know, there's spirits. It's like, all right, fine. We all get a, if we can't get along and we don't set down some ground rules, then we're going to have a mess of it. But so far, it's been like the intermittent lights turning on in the middle of the night, the television turning on, objects moving from one room to the other, um, a chair sliding from, from the den into the, I guess, into the living room and the path from the stairs up to the to the kitchen. I mean, that kind of stuff. And I don't really feel bothered by it. I always find it amusing and curious and kind of like they're just saying, we're here. It's okay. We're just letting you know we're here. And I'm like, all right, fine. Nothing too malicious, nothing too dramatic, nothing too outrageous that really concerns me and makes me feel like I'm in any way, shape, or form threatened or in harm's way. Because if that was the case, I'd unleash a whole can of whoop-ass on them. 
and I mean that in a, in a, in a very much a, um, in an honest sense, but if you ask me how would I do that, I'd look at you straight in the face and say, I have no clue. I have no <laughs> idea what I would do. But as long as I'm going to play the part of going to say, I've got, you know, I've got something up my sleeve, I'll bluff them out on that. And I'll stand my ground as if I did. Whether or not I have it, I don't think is so important as it's the effect of standing your ground and, and basically so, saying, I respect you, but in the same token, you must respect me. We have to have mutual respect. And I think that that's a lot of what is, uh, is lacking in the paranormal field for the most part. It's an issue of respect for the spirits. Because as I've said before, you know, people, how do you live there? How do you manage to deal with it? And it's like, well, you know, as I said it before, we're all going to pass from the earth at some point. So to piss and moan and to groan about the fact that we're going to die is kind of foolhardy because it's going to happen. There's no one that I know that's ever lived, you know, forever. And therefore, if that's the case, and you're going to spend one-tenth of one percent on this plane of existence, pissing and crapping all over the spirits, no matter how you want to say it, and disrespecting them, you're going to be putting up a lot of brownie points on the, on the negative column. So when you hit that other side... You're going to have a lot of bounty points that you're going to have to make up for for that which you have passed, you know, in past life experiences have accumulated. And that's why I said when Lisa Williams famously came here and stood at the top of the landing, going top of the top of the, uh, the dining room, going down two steps into the living room, she looks over in the bar and she goes, do you know you have a big party over in your bar? And I'm going, squinting my eyes, going, uh, I don't see anything. And she goes, oh, yes, Jay's there and Sharon's there. And there's Rudolph Valentino and some other people I don't recognize. And oh, some Native Americans as well. And I'm going, Native Americans? What the hell is she talking about? And I said, okay. And she goes, they all want me to tell you that they really appreciate you allowing them to hang out in your house. And I looked and I said, look, um, <laughs> I've seen the photographs at the LAPD crime scene of how Sharon Tate was killed and the other four people. And... Um, I said, I don't feel like I want to be the one that adds insult to injury to those who have passed such a horrific death. I said, so to be honest with you, if they want to hang here and they're here and whoever the hell else is here, by all means, I literally like almost like raised my glass and said, to them that are here, please enjoy yourselves. It's my, mi casa su casa. I didn't even say it. I said, my house is, is to me, it's, the house is big enough to be shared with the spirits. I don't feel encumbered and hindered. And she was like, well, they just, that's what they like about you. She says, she says they love your attitude. I'm like, going, huh? okay. I mean, I shrug it off and people go, why do you shrug it off? And it's like, because I put myself in their shoes and nobody ever does that. You know, you're a paranormal investigator, and you're always thinking from your own little, how should you say, your own perspective of me, 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 and I'm in the, I'm the center of the universe. It's like, screw you, you're not the center of the universe. You're trying to communicate with, with spirits of disembodied individuals who have passed away. You better afford them some certain amounts of respect, because if you don't, and you get to the other side, you're going to get your ass kicked a lot around the other, other parallel, the other universe, as far as I'm concerned. And I have news for you. If what I'm saying is true... With a grin on my face, since you in the audience can't see this, <laughs> Mr. Zach Baggins, you are going to have a hellacious, unpleasant eternity for all that you have done. And I can only base that upon the limited time that you actually sat in my home, which was all of three little minuscule hours. My dear friend, you have a hell 
waiting for you, even if you make it to heaven. Just because you made it to heaven doesn't mean they're not going to kick your ass for the obscenities you produced while you were alive. Um, and that's what I personally believe. I think he's going to be crapped on left, right, and center. Um, who knows? We'll see what happens in this plane of existence before he's done. I don't know. All I know is, is that I've been here 15 years and I got crapped on and assaulted verbally by him, claiming that I am a fraud. I'm like, I'm a fraud. <laughs> and can, can you explain to me in what way I'm a fraud? You could spend three hours in my house. I lived here 15 years and you claiming that I'm the fraud and that I'm the poltergeist agent. And last I checked, on every single episode in the past three seasons, you've been getting possessed. Ooh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I call that repossession of the third degree. My God, like a black belt that doesn't have eyes and can't see. What's the good of it? It's interesting what you were talking about, um, giving them room and respect. I actually have a friend who is a medium, and I've had that conversation with him, and one of the things he does is he calls it just a basic negotiation. I'm like, okay, fine. If you're going to hang out, um, I have a couple of requests. Respect my boundaries. I'll respect yours. And he has no problems. Like he has sane, civil, you know, encounters. You know, he has, he's had a couple of times where he's had to say like, you know, don't touch me. He has had a couple of those moments. <laughs> Good luck. You know, spirits like a dog. A dog doesn't have to listen to you just because you said it. So. I, and I don't even I, I I and I don't personally believe it's something that has to be spoken. A lot of people do that. Exactly, it, they, it doesn't they, they have to out, be. I have to, I, have to broke, I have to speak to the spirits. Are you goddamn kidding me? The spirits are cognitive of the second you walk in the freaking door. The moment you walk in, it's like we understand who the hell you are. We don't need you to say two words. You, it's 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 the fact that people believe. Well, uh, sorry. I'm, I'm channeling Harry Houdini who's saying the show is too great for the humans not to want it. They need to believe in a show. They need to see the show they want because they're not accepting, so they need to hear and to see the bravado and see this whole spectacle. It's because they can't accept it on the, on the face value that when that person walks in, however, he says, certain people, because when I walk in a room, people would stop and just immediately look at me and knew that I was there. He says certain people have a sense of presence and a certain charisma and charm, a certain type of, <laughs> he's a joie de vivre. Very funny, Harry. Um, Eric. All right, Eric. Um, he says, Mr. Weiss to you. Thank you very much, Harry. <laughs> God help us. No, he says that, 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 that this, what he combated in 100 years ago in the 1950s, during the Great War, which was, he's talking about World War I. He says his friends of his, there were socialites and, and well-to-do individuals like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, whose son died in the, the terrible war. He goes, a lot of these people had, had, had voids in them. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for, for a connection to the other side. And he says he saw all these people walking around, you know, almost like they were decapitated or um, were amputees when they physically weren't, but part of their, their being was, 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 was removed and severed, like their sons and stuff. And so people were, were very much interested in banking on that, that need and that desire to um, communicate with their dead, lost relatives. He goes, it was big in the, in the eight, in late 1800s, in late 19th century, but it came back hugely and more, more how should I say, prolifically during the, 19, in the 1900s, in the like 19-teens, because of the Great War and a lot of people right. that had suffered. 
And he says what he saw was the exploitive tendencies of people to take advantage of those that were missing, that were lost, that had a loss. Um, the problem was is, is it's similar to what's going on now in a greater sense, the fact that you've got people that are creating devices and based upon their, their he says, this is what's funny, he goes, that goddamn son of a bitch, Thomas Alva Edison, with his fucking spirit box, <laughs> was the inception of it. Did you just hear that right there? We just had something. I heard like a, a crack or a pop or something. Right. Right there. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there that got moved. It, you, you saw it, and it wasn't from there. We, got, we have confirmation that their presence is with us because they like what's being said because they said they don't like the mythology and the, 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 the new and improved Frank's box which is now the ovulus, which is the spirit box. Um, he said, charlatans to the nth degree never quit and never cease trying to make profit on people's miseries and woes. Um, and what the funniest thing is, is these people that are buying these pieces of equipment are looking for a shortcut. And he's because it's the worst part about it is, is nobody, you know, if you want to do something, you have to put in the time, the energy, and the, and the sweat it's not something that you get by just, here's my dollar, I want it now. He says it's kind of like Lindsay Lohan. I want to see a ghost. I want to see a spirit. I mean, it's like one. That's not how it works, folks. Mm-hmm. And the people that, 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 that believe in these things and the white noise generators, the, the, the people that are buying them and are saying that these are actual communicative devices to the spirits are buying hog shit to be blunt and honest. It's not, first of all, let's just, pre- let's, let's preface this by saying if in fact it could be that these were actually generating vo- vocalizations or correction, information from the spirits because the vocalizations as we know them are through scanners of AM or FM frequencies or whatever that they're picking up. So they're picking up words. So what has always been told to me is, is the spirit's using it to pick words out of the, the, trans, the audio transmission and using those words selectively as making a statement like, like Jeff or Bob. And it's like, or Jeff. And you can barely, it's like, oh, it sounds like it's a Jeff. And they call those class B EVPs. And I go, there's nothing class anything about that. And it's certainly not electronic voice phenomena. And why is that? Because electronic voice phenomena, as it's always been known and I've understood it to be, is taking a tape recorder or recording device and capturing a spirit's voice. Therefore, the word EVP, electronic voice phenomena. It's not electronic transmission phenomena. It's not a scanner phenomena. It's electronic voice phenomena. The voice is the thing that they keep on pulling out of that when they give you the Frank's box because it's nothing of an EVP. And people say, why do I say that? Because I've got in my house 16 HD, 3 megapixel, 1080p cameras throughout the entire house with microphones. We have inadvertently captured Class A EVPs throughout the, oh God, say four years that I've had these cameras throughout the house. And in some cases, people have actually heard the voices and reacted to them, and we've checked on the, I guess, the the closed-circuit television cameras, and you can actually hear the voices that they're hearing physically and they're interacting with. So to me, 
Um, oh yeah, we've also had people do interviews on camera, and in the background on the camera, they've picked up EVPs that are literally, I don't want to say they're intel. There's some type of an intelligence to the what they're saying because they're directly course, cor- cor- uh, correlated to what's being said by the interviewer. For example, James Oster was here during the Poltergeist DVD Blu-ray release party um, two years ago in September. And it was about 12.30 at night, and this is on my YouTube channel, by the way. And he was downstairs in the third level. There was myself, James, his videographer, and a photographer friend of his, and that's it. So there's four men here. And Jim's down there talking, and he goes, I've been to David's house many times, and strange things have happened. And in the background, almost on cue, this little girl's voice goes, Here's one. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's not like, oh, what did you think? He said, it said, uh, it's one. And then the other person says, oh, it sounds like here's one. And the other person says, he's one. No, no, it's as clear as a bell that everybody can listen to it. And it says, here's one. And it's right on top of what he has just said. So I said to James after, he, he goes, I, I, I said, James, I said, there's no little girl here. He goes, well, there's a little girl's voice on the recording and I don't know who the hell it is. And as he's reviewing his footage from earlier in the evening, he was talking in the third level guest bedroom about the, uh, the event and they pick up a little girl's giggle in the background. And she just goes like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Um, and that's what I mean. It's, it's, it's clear. It's not subject to what did they say? I don't know what it is. I'm trying to figure that one out. And it's not through a Frank's box, and it's not through any type of a, uh, how should I say, some adjunct device that a third party can basically say or a skeptic can say, okay, what about this, 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 as basically a way to shred your evidence, if you can call it that. Russell, you're going to have fun listening to this. <laughs> if you hear anything, make don't, sure. Don't. I have no doubt you might be hearing voices in the background saying, he's right. <laughs> Damn right. And it's always a whisper. Here's the signature characteristic about the EVPs that I've heard in this house. Almost like they're on top of the microphone, always whispering. But it's very clear, and you can hear it. But it's like whispering, like, get out, or... I mean, we have, we have, there's an EVP downstairs that says, we're doing one of the investigations, says, shit. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's pretty good. Um, Chris Fleming was here four years or five years ago during an investigation. And famously enough, I had my cameraman videotaping it, and Chris was doing the EVP session. And this is what I like to do when it comes to EVP sessions. I am one of those people that likes to do short and sweet EVP sessions, meaning I want somebody videotaping the session so that there's an overview of what's going on in the room and everybody can see what's being taped and what's being recorded at the time. So it's not like, well, I can't see what's going on, so I don't know if somebody's in the room with you whispering in the microphone because I can just hear what I'm seeing, hearing, but I can't visually see the setup. Mm-hmm. So, whoops. so Chris was down in the um, laundry room and I have the videographer shooting, and Chris is asking a question. And as I said, I like them short and sweet. What I mean is, is oh, shoot. Hold on one sec. It's a ghost. Yeah, when he's got a time to call on a telephone, I'll be a prize. So 
he's down there and he's doing a session and he asks the question and he gives him about 30 seconds you know, to respond and then stops and plays it right back. And why do I like that versus hours and hours of, of evidence being accumulated? <clears throat> because insofar as the mental capacity of a human being's brain to focus on anything for a very long period of time, you have about a five-minute retention span to really focus good and hard. After that, the drop-off is, is basically, you know, it gets worse and worse and worse. After 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, you start to basically drop off your, your efficiency to really concentrate. So Chris asks the question and waits 30 seconds and plays back the response. And the response was hysterical. To, in, in, my turn, in my mind, it was hysterical because the spirit said, F you and die and get the hell out of the house. And this woman goes, oh, my God, it's a demon. And I looked at her and I said, excuse me. Hmm? I said, if it was me that said that, or if you heard, heard somebody else saying that to Chris, a living person who said that to Chris, and you basically were eavesdropping, what would you say about the person that said that remark to Chris? And she said, oh, I think they were having a fight. And I said, so what's the difference if it's a spirit communicating with Chris or a human being? And she goes, ah, ah, ah. I said, you're still eavesdropping. This conversation is between Chris and the spirit. You're an outside observer eavesdropping, and you're hearing a conversation. You don't know what the reference is. You don't know why there's a, where the antipathy is, why there's kind of like friction there, but there's obviously friction. So what's the difference? It's a living person or a dead person. It's the same thing. You're eavesdropping. And she stopped, and she looked at me, and she said, I never thought of it like that. And I said, well, maybe you should, because otherwise you're projecting your sense of, of this spirit having it out for Chris, and you don't even know that Chris has been here before, and the spirit has been here forever, forever long I've been here, and I would assume that the spirit knows Chris and doesn't really care for Chris. And I think that your projection and assumption and, um, you know, pushing this agenda onto the spirit, saying that it's a demon, is quite misplaced. And she says, you know something? I think you've got a point there. I didn't think about that. And I said, yeah. I said, that's how I look at it as. As it turns out, um, <laughs> let's just say the spirit was more on my side than it was Chris's side that night. And some incident that later on, which, which came to fruition, led me to understand exactly what the spirit's knowledge of the future events were going to be. And it was like, oh, that son of a gun spirit was on the money. I agree with him. He was, he was looking out for my best interests. And I was kind of like thinking, it's like, hmm, isn't it interesting? They can see ahead and know what's going to happen and are basically calling them out on it. And that's how I felt and, and, and treated the whole moment. I thought later on saying, son of a gun. I was right on the money with what I said, that the spirit knew who Chris was. And what I said literally five hours before or six hours before the incident took place was on the money. And it led me to believe, it's like, you know something? They're not here to hurt you. They're not here to harm you. They're not here to scare you. They're here to let you know what's happening. And if you take advantage of that knowledge and that foreshadowing of what's going to happen, you can take it and make it take, you know, take it, take it, make it to your, take it to your advantage and utilize that. So I've never felt that the spirits were a hindrance or a problem or a, uh, of any concern. I find it to be quite helpful and, um, 
a non-issue as far as I'm concerned. I appreciate their looking out for me, so to speak, and have so far as I know as, I, as long as I've lived here. With the investigations that you've had, because you know, you've talked a little bit about everything from construction on and your willingness to, to like, hey, everybody has their space and, and let's all be cool about it. When you started having people come in, uh, what kind of feedback did you get? What were the, like, when you started having people come in and investigate, like, what were their conclusions? Were they trying to steer you toward uh, a different attitude toward your spirits? Um, well, let's be honest here. The, the investigations I've been having here to the public have only been going on for three years now. Um, they began literally a couple of weeks after the Ghost Adventures show, which was, I think, the fifth uh, television series I had been on. Um, prior to, let's see, 2014, um, the only people that actually were coming in here, I have to say, let's see, Jason Hawes from Ghost Adventures was in 2007. Um, excuse me. Um, trying to think. I've had, I've had other people that have visited here through the years that were friends of mine that were psychics or mm -hmm. sensitives and stuff. And, and I'll be honest with you. I've heard so many different theories about the paranormal, and I've been open and receptive, and I've listened. Um, the thing that I've taken from them is is a little bit bits and pieces from some of them, and then a lot of it I've literally thrown to the curb, just because a lot of it is just um, what's the old saying? When you have some experience to deal with, you have to think about it in simplest terms. Why? Because in reality the simplest answers are usually the most accurate answers. And that when we go into a place in our mind, when we create a, uh, for lack of better words, when we go Tolkien, so to speak, <laughs> on things, we, 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 we miss so much of the obvious. And we concoct things that are well beyond the actual realm of what's taking place. And a little bit of knowledge turns into a mountain full of shit. Um, like a bull weevil. It starts with a grain of sand and it turns into a big giant thing of, of, of uh, Bandini Mountain, so to speak. That's what I've noticed. I think that people are not willing and aren't happy with um, the honest truth about things, about the paranormal, which I hate to say it, but you have to take away a lot of religiosity out of it. And I do. I strip it right down to the bone because a lot of what we understand as human beings in the paranormal field is basically ripped out of uh, religious texts. And I just don't find that applicable. I find it completely nonsensical. And uh, it has its place in, as far as human behavior is concerned and the, the needs for a crutch. But in reality, anybody who's alive has no idea what the hell happens after you die. And I know that's going to piss off a lot of mediums and a lot of psychics and a lot of... There's somebody who's a rescue medium who wanted to come here and try to help me. And it's like, you can't help me because there's no help that's being requested or needed. Mm -hmm. So please, thank you. Find somebody that's, that's interested in that, which you're offering, but I have really no interest in it because I don't buy it. And I never will, and I never could be convinced of it because... I've seen things that other people have said couldn't and shouldn't and this and that and religious doctrines and stuff and applied it and blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. It's all dogma to me. It's just um, 
uh, as you say, I've gone around to places that were also haunted, which is about 99% of the places that exist are haunted. People are just aren't sensitive. That's my cat, Tommy. Um, people just aren't <laughs> sensitive. Tommy, would you mind? People aren't sensitive to know that every place that somebody existed or lived, played, worked, hung out, uh, loved, uh, hated, whatever, is haunted. Because all the haunting is is the residual energy of those that had previously been there and who no longer walk the earth in the physical form. Um, that, again, I don't like to hypothesize about stuff because there's so little we actually know, and I like to keep it really cut simple and clean and say there's certain things that I believe in, there's certain things I don't believe in. Um, dealing with the paranormal from what I've experienced here and what I've seen. And here's an example. It goes back to that Ghost Adventures episode with Zach. Isn't it interesting that a man who claims to be a professional in the field, who's been doing this for a number of years, comes into my house, gets scared to death because a figurine falls, topples over some 12 feet away from him in the darkness that he doesn't see, he doesn't hear, and only until his audio technician, Jay Wosley, in the truck, walkie-talkies messages him saying, hey, did you guys see that? Nick says, see what? The, fig the smoking man figurine toppled over, and he goes into a complete meltdown. Now, I'm sorry. I, I'm really sorry. I don't, I, I don't understand where the cause and effect is there that you didn't see it, you didn't hear it, it happened 12 feet away from you, and you don't react until you're being told it happened. And it's not like somebody lopped off an arm and he's running around bleeding all over the place. It's nothing that traumatic and traumatic, but to him, it's a, it's a nervous breakdown moment. Now, what I mean by that is, is I've been here for 15 years. I've been in, the, in my office, the floor below it, and I've heard the figurine knock over. And this has been going on now for about eight years. Um, I've been in the room when it's knocked over. I've been in the kitchen when it's knocked over. I've been staring right at it when it's gotten knocked over in the daytime, in the nighttime. Mm -hmm. So what? What's the, it's like, my God, it's just their way of communicating so for his reaction to be so blown out of the water and so over the top, it's like, man, have you ever had a real life experience with the paranormal before? Because <laughs> it sure the hell doesn't seem like it because by the reaction and the, the meltdown you're going through, and I know, I'm, I'm laughing, but, but I, don't, I don't connect that with, with being professional. It's like, and then he says, I hear three knocks. Oh my God, it's the devil. And I go, on the sign of the devil? Three knocks? What, what religious bullshit are you throwing in there now to, to give yourself that drama, that, excuse me, but I'm going to wear my, my, my leather jeans and my vocal cords are going to go up down a few noctives <laughs> and I'm going to be my big boy voice. Let me have some grease for my hair while we're at it so I can grease it back and look really smart and I can act really authoritarian. I mean, I mean, let's be, I mean, there's a difference. I am the real deal only because... I've had, Mikey, you've had your experiences here with the butcher block spinning mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine, just for one <laughs> millisecond, I know you're laughing, you son of a bitch. I'm just, I know you're laughing. But let's, 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 let's do this, you know, what, what would happen if? Let's go with, right, we know what happened with you because you experienced it. But let's go with, what if, now let's, let's see, if Nick Groff was here, who was also on the team, who's, he's actually come back to the house a year and a half ago um, in February, to do a promo plug for um, his new TV show, uh, Paranormal Lockdown. What do you think Nick would have done in that situation? If he was you, if he was where you were, 
when that butcher block spun off the uh, the television set. Be professional and not run away and try to figure out what exactly happened. Okay. <laughs> and, and you, sir, what do you think? Uh, well, I was standing outside the door, so I saw Mike's reaction. <laughs> so you turned a little white. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah I, I, but, but Mike turned around immediately and was like, I want to know. Oh, yeah. No, like, he came back. I mean, the video is clear as a bell. He, came, he, he stumbled. He stopped. But again, the video is, is shot in pretty much total darkness. And that gosh darn infrared light, yeah. which people are watching the video thinking, oh, he can see. It's like, no, people. The reason why that's all in great tones is because it's dark. And when Mike's in there, Mike doesn't see the gosh darn butcher block fly off like you all see on the camera, which is what the whole point was. And his reaction was he like tried to open the door and he couldn't open the door because the butcher box. <laughs> but he went out and then like te- like a minute later, Mike comes running on back with somebody else saying, I oh, what is he's talking about it, he's ins- inspecting it. I mean, I can't imagine what, what Zach would have done had he had that happen. He would have, you know, and this is the guy that let's let's not forget who had the experience that everybody claims was such a big to-do with the flying brick in the in, in the location he was that flew right by him. And I go. Flying brick my ass. Guy had a meltdown with a gosh darn figurine, fell over 12 <laughs> feet away, and he didn't see it, he didn't hear it. He gets told about it 10 seconds after it happens, and he goes to pieces. Had he been in with Mike, was with that freaking butcher block, God knows what would have happened. It'd be like a cartoon where they go through the door and you see a silhouette. You I mean literally he doesn't go through there, he breaks the door and the whole of the, the guy he had the figurine of the figure of the, the, the outline of the guy's body as he's punched through the door, literally crashed I mean that's what I would have thought would have happened had he had that experience in the house. I mean, but it's kinda of like you know, I just find it I kinda of find it humorous and I laugh at it and people say, What's your favorite paranormal reality show? And I say, None. And they go, mm-hmm. Why not? I said because look, after being on six of them and watching all the shows before and getting intrigued, the one thing I see is there is a lot of drama. It's a lot of reaction shots of the, of the investigators. Mm-hmm. But for God's sake, I'd like to have a camera pointed on what the hell they're looking at that they're reacting to and not see their face go, <laughs> and make those stupid cartoonish looks and the expressions. And I want to say... I don't give a rat's ass about the guy's face. I want to see what he's reacting to. Why haven't we got a camera pointing there? Instead, we have these, these contraptions where they got an, over, an aperture hanging over, an armature hanging over in front of their face and the camera's on them. God forbid you should have a camera in front of them so that you can see what they're reacting to. But that's never the case, and that's what I find so disconcerting about all the paranormal shows. It's, it's all the psychics and all the mediums. Oh, I feel this and I feel... That's great. I want to see somebody go in that doesn't know anything about the location. Bring him in completely cold. Mm-hmm. See, television won't do this, and I've done this before. And We did this here, ooh, let's see, it was um, the 35th anniversary. So 13 years ago we did this. We brought in seven psychics, three in one night and four in another. And I did it in a way that television couldn't handle. And by that I mean I brought in three psychics, right? I brought them in one at a time from all different locations. So when we started the night, we had three psychics, one in one location, one in another location, one in another location. And we brought the first one in. We didn't tell her where she was going. We had her blindfolded, walked her in the house, didn't say two bloody words, just said, roll, give it slate, give us your name, tell us a little bit about yourself, and tell us exactly what you're feeling when you're walking through the house. Because I don't want... 
You don't know where you're going. I want you just to tell us what you're feeling organically. They walked through the house. We had the cameras on them. We had a thermal cam. We went downstairs, went through the entire house. We then interviewed the one person. We then went and we took her to another, to, back to the location she was at to be sequestered. Bring the next psychic in. Same thing. Back to the th- her location. Bring the third one in. Da-da-da, back to her location. Brought them back at the end of the night. Decided to sit at the, where we are right now at the table and we asked them questions. Just like, what, what, so, so how did you like the night? Blah, blah, blah. And again, they still had no idea where they were because I didn't want them to have the reveal until it was very, very much to the end. So we kept talking. Then I said, so group, can collect, and I got the three of you together. Let's get the group round table going. What did you guys think collectively? Da, 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 da. Okay, it's time for the reveal. And it was like, oh my God, now it all understands. Everything came into complete focus. When they were sitting there, one of them was saying, I felt sharp pains in my upper torso, like I'm being stabbed and my arms are being hurt. And I feel the back, one of the, the guys said, goes, the back of my head feels like it's being caved in. <laughs> and every single comment that they came up with at the reveal compared to what they said before, because I had the notes, they said, well, this is what you said. Every single one of those things that they said before they knew plugged right in to where they were. Mm-hmm. You could never see that done on TV because they're too chicken shit. And they don't want to do something like that because it's kind of dull and boring. When in reality, it's fascinating and riveting and, and compelling. And, and like I said, if you edit it in such a way where you actually go back to what they're experiencing when they're walking through the house, so you get the snippet of her saying, because I felt these pains and these sharp stabbing pains in my upper chest and I feel like, like I'm clutching my stomach and oh my God. All of that would be a much more interesting show than any of the shows that have been out there and I've seen. And I've done these investigations. And I think that going in blind is a much better way to do it when you're talking about the paranormal investigations. And no one wants to. Um, As far as the spirits are concerned, some people have said, oh, the spirits feel like they're being exploited. Give me a freaking break. If the spirits didn't like it, they would do one of two things. Leave and not be a party to the action or B, if they really didn't like it, they'd start giving people atomic wedgies. And people would know immediately that the spirits were displeased. And they'd say, oh my, maybe I should get out of here. This isn't a comfortable feeling. But obviously, since the spirits are big enough and wise enough, and I give them enough credit for knowing enough about my intentions and um, what I'm trying to do and help people understand and sharing my experience and sharing my house with them to actually have an experience that's unlike what they've seen on television, yet it's real and it's not the BS they've seen on TV. Um, I think that that's what I wanted to do and I was enjoying interacting with people and having people learn about it. It wasn't, you know, um, some kind of like, oh, I'm going to turn my house into Universal Studios of the paranormal world. No, I mean, I was doing a few of them a couple, you know, a couple times every couple of months and last year I did three, and this year I've done uh, two, and that's it. So, I mean, I got tired of being bam- berated by people saying, you're explaining the spirits, they don't like this. And I go, who the hell are you? They're gosh darn guardian? What do you think? The spirits don't have a way of communicating in so many words? You know, they're pretty capable and competent at letting us know how they feel or don't feel. So I don't feel that it's been done in any type of a, how should you say, an exploitive manner or fashion. It's always been done with integrity and respect and honesty and um, with no bullshit, to be most important and honest about it. I don't like 
people that like to, uh, as you say, play games with people to let them think that there's something that happened that didn't really happen, but I'm going to make them feel it did. It's like, don't bring that weak BS here to my house. We don't play that. We don't do that. And I don't really engage in that. It's, I want the authentic, actual interaction to take place. And what I'm saying is, is, if it doesn't take place, that's okay as well. Oh my God, my cat. Tommy, I can hear every word you're saying. I got it. You're hungry. That, that's all I'm trying to say is, is I don't like building up something that's not real. And because it's real, I don't have the um, sense of like, oh, uh, this is going to happen. You know, be careful. and like trying to make them all paranoid and fearful of what could happen. I say, go enjoy yourself. Have the time of your life. And if something happens, don't be afraid. Just embrace it and say, hey, I'm here. I'm not going to run away scared because the truth is you can run as far as you want. But there's an old saying, you can run, but you can't hide. And with the spirit, that's pretty much tantamount to the actual truth because there's nowhere you can go that you're not going to, that you're going to manage to escape a ghost. <laughs> and if you think you can, you're on some mighty powerful pot there, kid. <laughs> I can't imagine what you're smoking that's giving you that thought. <laughs> Um, so you you open your house up uh, for investigations sometimes. Uh, you sell tickets and people can come. And I think, I mean, that's how we met because Russell and I both came in 2015. And I think it's so great that you do that because it gives amateurs like us who do it as, as for fun, as a hobby, an opportunity to investigate a very high-profile place. And... Like, first of all, thank you for doing that. <laughs> um, but second of all, uh, you're doing that again and in October, and it's going to be a two-house one. And yeah. you just did uh, a two-house one a couple weeks ago. And how did that happen? And tell, tell us the link of the house next door to the Tate murders. Well, first, thank you very much um, for the, the, the wonderful... Uh... <laughs> comments there about uh, the, the house. Um, honestly, part of it is, is I enjoy meeting people. I've always, I guess I was raised in a, with a, in a family where my mother used to, um, I don't want to say entertain, but my mother had a knack for meeting people in the most obscure, strangest of places when she was um, renting an apartment out to somebody. She ended up becoming best friends with a woman. They were lifelong friends for, for my entire life. And... Um, I just, I enjoy, I enjoy meeting people and sharing what I have. It's kind of like, um, it certainly is not for the money. You know, people, oh, you're making money. It's like, really? I said, everybody that works for the, on my, on my team gets paid and the food costs money and the cleaning team that cleans up before and after the events get paid. And, um, you know, it's, it's not something that I do for making money. It's just to meet people and to share what I have with other people to the to enjoy to actually experience what it's like to be in a real haunted location, and um, have that opportunity. Because I, I, it goes back to when I was a kid. I used to go to my parents' friend's house, and it was the first time going to somebody's house. And I go walk in, my mother. I'd say, "Excuse me, is your house haunted?" And the people go, "Excuse me," and my mother would take me aside and say, "David." What have I told you about asking people about if their house is haunted? Nobody believes in people's having houses that are haunted. And for you to ask him is really obnoxious and it makes me look like an idiot of a mother for you to be saying such things. So it's like, okay, fine. But I still said it till the day I died as a kid. Um, and I wanted always to, <coughs> excuse me, to experience that 
And once I had that, I wanted to be able to share that with others. Um, and you have to remember, before the Ghost Adventures show, I was having people coming in, literally, literally walking up the driveway to go to Sharon's gate to go look up, and I'd go outside and I'd start talking to people and say, oh, come on in. And I wasn't charging a dime because I didn't have the overhead of having to get all the food and to get the cleaning crew and then to get the paranormal investigators up here and to get the crew and then to spend the $6,000 to buy all the cameras and the CCTV equipment, excuse me, and all the monitors and all the stuff that we put through the house. So, I mean, I was doing it, you know, just meeting people on the street in front of the house and stuff. And, um... That was because of the Ghost Hunters show, right, in 2005. Thank you very much. Because people, you know, it wasn't like it was money, but once I started doing it into that length and all the equipment, then I was like, all right, I'm going to do this fine. Let's do this right. Um, but what we did two weeks ago, my next-door neighbor decided that um, he was planning on selling his house. So he said, look, in the meantime, as, as I'm getting it ready and fixed up, I'm going to um, you know, start renting it out possibly because I don't like the idea of having a long-term lease. And I said, like, with people, and I said, okay. So he said, look, um, you mind if I rent it out? He goes, when? I said, so we ended up getting August 4th and 5th, and we did the two, first two-house paranormal investigation. And why, why are those dates important? Oh, no, they... All right, fr- because it's a Friday and Saturday night, smartass. <laughs> That's why. To, to stick a guy patch in your... Trying to hit me over the head with that one, are you? My guy. Jesus, no. It was also... Well, it's also this... Also, the anniversary of the murders was August 8th, and I had also known that in the past years that... Um, a couple of days before the anniversary of the murder, the energy in this house gets crazy amplified. And um, I wanted to do something because people were asking me, you can do an investigation around the anniversary. And it's like, not on the anniversary, it's on a Tuesday night. I said, however, I said, if you guys have enough people that are interested, I said, I'll pull it, put it together for an anniversary investigation on the Friday and Saturday night beforehand. So um, I talked to my neighbor and I ended up renting his house. And... Uh, crazy we actually were able to have people spend the night because people oh, i want to spend the night at your house i want to come over for overnight i'm like not at my house my insurance will not cover that <laughs> but because he was doing it in such a, you know had the rooms set up and it's like you know we can you can have people stay over. it's like oh good i will so we had eight people spend the night over there and um that house was strange. When we first went in there, the first couple of people that came in for the overnight got there at like 4 o'clock, and we went downstairs to the house. And it was like one said, it feels a little like, I don't know, icky, like like just energy is just like, it was palpable. It wasn't wasn't overt, but it was definitely, you could feel it like on your skin. It's like, ooh, ooh, a tingliness, wow. Uh Later on Friday night, on the 4th of August, when people were there doing the investigation, that house was like a uh, a Roman candle. It was so hot. There was so much intense energy in that house. And people were telling me, it feels so heavy. It feels oppressive in certain parts. I mean, Mike, you were there. You can tell me, you know, please add, you know, add oh, yeah. any of your comments because you were actually there. And I don't like that house at all. I was like, oh, I like this. It's nasty. It's, it's not nice. It's dark. It's vicious. It's just black. Oh, I was doing EVPs with uh, the crew from Bridge Paranormal. Shout out to Bridge Paranormal. Um, and, Larry. <laughs> and heard 
the most impressive EVP I've ever heard in my life. And it was in the second floor bedroom and it was just like, what the hell just happened? What did they say? Um, we were, uh, I think it was Sydney was asking, uh, you know, who's here or, or something like that. And when we played it back, we did the short clips, yeah. like, like you were talking about earlier. And it sounded like the monster, the monster. Yeah. I want to hear that EVP. I've only been, I've only heard other people say, I think it was Eric Van Liner and, uh, whatchamacallit, um, Oh God, I forgot his name off the bat. We're, we're down there. Rod, Rod, what's him called? Rod, Rob Hernandez was down there, and Rob heard. He goes, "Dave, we got an EVP. We got an EVP." He goes, "What does it say?" He goes, "The monster." And it's like, "What? The monster? <laughs> the monster? What the hell is that?" I said, "Oh come on!" I still, I'm dying to hear it. Honestly, well, I'm curious to hear. It. I'm not dying to hear anything, but I'm curious to hear that that EVP because it's I've been told by three different people. I'm going, I haven't heard it though. I want to hear it. You have it. Let's hear it. Okay. Let's, we're going to listen to this, this EVP for you guys as well. Hi. Hi. How many people are out there watching us? Okay. I'm very curious about that. The uh -huh. monster. So it's really quick. Oh. I don't hear the monster. I hear the mobster. Oh. The mobster. That's not monster, the mobster, okay. M-O-B-S-T-E-R. And I'm getting chills all over me, like that's what it was. You're all hearing the mobs, the monster. It's like, no, the monster, no, the mobster. Hmm. Does that have a special meaning for next door? I'd have to go look it up. Send me that EVP, I want to hear that mm -hmm. some other time. I swear to God, that's just wild. It sounds like the mobster. Wow. So, um, and what's interesting about that house as well is, is three people came, literally walk, <clears throat> walked out of that house and were sick, literally threw up. Jeff Mandel got sick when he got home. He left early. And then two other people literally came upstairs and went outside and threw up. I was like, whoa. Wow. Never had that happen here the entire time in my house ever. I mean, we've had people throw up, but it certainly wasn't from ghosts, from spirits, yes. Not the kind that you get in the ethereal kind, but in a bottle, namely Jack Daniels, tequila, gin, mm -hmm. vodka, and some other dumb things that people put into their bodies. But those are the spirits that made them vomit, not the um, spirits. But yeah, and so as a result of the two-house investigation, which was incredible, I mean, people were going in there and saying, the, the two houses are so energy so, so energized and goes, one's dark and one's light. And I was, and I was like, do you, do you, I said, do I have to guess which one is which? And they go, no, that house is dark. That house has got such dark, heavy energy. And I'm like, wow. And then the people were going into the earth and wall room in the house next door and complaining terribly about feeling like they were on motion and moving and they were feeling back and forth. And somebody had to grab the, the beam to hold on for dear life because when they let go of it, they fell over like they were rocking on a boat violently on the seas. I was like, ooh, ooh boy, that, that place is just intense. So on Friday the 13th and Saturday the 14th of October, I'm going to... Um, do it again. We're going to do a two-house ghost hunt here. From uh, We're going to go an extra hour. We're going to go from 8 in the evening to 3 in the morning, where last time was 8 in the evening to 2 in the morning. 
Um, and we still have some tickets available for the VIPs that want to spend the night. And that's not, that's not just spending the night. We actually, uh, I consider it a full 24-hour package. You get here at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, hang out for a couple of hours. At 5.30, we do a barbecue baby back rib dinner with chicken and all the fixings. We then roll into the investigation from 8 until 3. Then at about 3 o'clock, the VIPs can hang out and do some more investigating on their own, or they can go back to the house next door and crash. At 11 o'clock, we get everybody up and we do a full-on brunch. And I don't mean just cereal. I do with bagels (laughs) and cream cheese and eggs, scrambled eggs, whatever you want, fresh eggs with bacon and sausage and... God, what else we have? Uh, English muffins with uh, jam and fresh orange juice and, you know, um, what it was, it was cranberry juice. And somebody said, do you want to do mimosas? So I said, yeah, if you want to have champagne and orange juice, I'll be happy to serve that to you guys for uh, brunch. Um, and then we go downstairs and we watch the, uh, the House at the End of the Drive finished feature film in the theater room. And then they get a T-shirt and they also get a signed poster and take pictures. And that's basically the 24 hours here at the house. So for the people that did the VIP package, were they, um, did they have experience in, in investigating or were they more newer, just wanting to come to a place that they have an interest in? Uh, most of the VIPers were people that had, that were doing ghost had, they're a little familiar with the paranormal and the ghost hunting. Um, but they wanted the opportunity to actually spend the night. They wanted to have that feeling of being able to say they spent the night on Sierra Drive private. And um, like I said, a lot of them had great, great experiences. I had nobody that was um, complaining about the food or the, uh, the spirits or the, uh, the location next door as far as the uh, amenities were concerned. It's a sweet house, I'll tell you. It's got, some, it's got remodeled bedrooms and bathrooms. It's got balconies. So... People, like I said, just love the chance to be up here for 24 hours and hang out and, and you know, hang out with me and just, you know, like I said, it was, it was fun. It, to me, it was like summer camp for adults. <laughs> for two, for three straight days, from Friday at about 3 o'clock to Sunday at around 6 o'clock, because the Sunday crew was staying later. And it's like, yeah, well, I'm not doing anything. You guys want to hang out and just talk and shoot? She says, fine, be my guest. You know, nothing going. So to me, it's... it's <laughs> Put it this way, you'd be bored out of your ass if you were hanging out with Zach back in for 24 <laughs> hours. You'd be like one, what the hell was I thinking? Guy's got to stick up his ass so far. He's not real. He's just a fako. Where me, it's like we're hanging out and some of the dogs and the cats are ringing up. Oh, I love your cats. Love you. it's, it's, it's an experience. I can't explain what it's like. I mean, yeah, as my mother would say, say David, with you, you, what you see is what you get. I don't, I, I don't put on any airs about being somebody I'm not. I'm pretty much who I am. And I think that's the genuine personality and person that I am as comes across as, as like, yeah, what you see is what you get. And when you come out here to hang out for, you know, for 24 hours, you're going to have an, a fun time. And I'm telling you, you'll have, you'll, you'll, you have an experience. It's just, it's hard to explain. It's like, well, I mean, I can explain it to you because you were, you know, think about it, Mikey. You were here two years ago for a ghost investigation. You've been back to birthday parties, to other parties and stuff, to other events. And it's like, you know, and all because of the gosh darn butcher block spun off a television set. 
you, you should explain what happened. Oh, uh, okay. For people who listen to the podcast, they may not know what the story is. So I was uh, here for an investigation, and I went into the third level, uh, the earthen wall room is what it's called, and I was doing some, I was about to do some EVPs, and I was going to close the door because there were some people, um, I think they were starting to do a seance in the other room uh, right next to it. And as I was closing the door, I just heard a boom, like this loud crash. I freaked out, ran out the door, but I couldn't open the door because what ended up happening was there was a butcher block on the TV that, that twirled spun, off, spun, spun off. off. It rotated. It didn't slide one direction. It mm-hmm. spun. I mean, we didn't, you didn't know this at the time. Yeah. After we looked at the video, I'm like, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> That thing, it spun. It literally rotated, and I grabbed a hold of the butcher block, and I picked it up, and I'm going, this isn't balsa wood. This is one-inch solid hard oak that is actually butcher block. Literally, it's a piece of butcher block that's about 18, 20 inches long by about 12 inches wide by one inch thick of what, 10 solid pounds. Yeah. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if you. <laughs> That's fun. That's okay. an understatement. So uh, I don't know if you remember this, David, but like he he walked out of the door, and I was like in the room where they were about to start the seance, and he had this such an odd expression, and I'd heard the crash, and what I thought was I looked at you, and I think I said, "Are you okay? Did you fall or yeah, something?" Yeah. That's what you said. It's on video. When you it, come back in it, with him, it was like what? And then we went back in, and when that's when we realized what it was. But like your expression was priceless, man. Like, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I thought you'd hurt yourself. I really thought you'd hurt yourself. <laughs> that needs to be a massacre. Dealing with a spirit, priceless. <laughs> Um, but going back to uh, to what you were saying about, you know, you were being a nice guy. I'm not going to, you know, go there, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but what I'm going to say. <laughs> but, uh, I'll fart on that. But uh, for for the investigations that you that you host, like Russell and I can both attest that we felt nothing but welcome. And oh, yeah, you made it like even for people that like this was our first big thing that we've ever done because, you know. We, we don't have TV shows, so we can't do like all the cool places, you know? So, you know, it was rad to be here and you made us feel so welcome. All the, the other investigators that were here, like made us feel welcome. Like people shared equipment. It's like, it's, it really is a, an amazing vibe. So if you're listening to this and you want to do this, don't have any worries and just do it because it's awesome. And another a fascinating thing for me from that night was the fact that you and I had very different experiences and very different feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reacting to stuff that you were like, you, I, at one point I think, like, are you like really seriously? Because I, there were two rooms where every time I walked in, I got nauseous and a massive headache within about two minutes and that you would walk into those rooms and you didn't feel anything apparently. Right. So the fact that everyone that night was talking about their experiences and, like I deliberately kept going back to that room like, okay, is this really, really seriously happening to me? And every time it did. So, and then it, I just found that utterly, fa- utterly fascinating. And, and it was my first opportunity to be in an environment like this. So it was, it was a fascinating, eye-opening evening. And, and Mike is right. The whole, it felt like a weird little community. And I mean that in the absolute best possible sense of, I think everyone was there for probably different reasons. 
but totally came together to support one another and like, why are you here? Let's go investigate. Let's go, let's go find the interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was a good night. And I have to admit, that's something that I've, I don't, I don't stress and I don't you know, d- demand, but in my, in my infinite wisdom, the spirits just said, screw you. That's not a <laughs> humble comment from me. What I'm saying to you is, is in my, in my, in a, in a, in a, but in a sense, there's some truth to what, he's, what they're saying and communicating is the sense that I hate and I re- revile clicks. I've always been somebody that never, as, as something that Will Rogers said close to 100 years ago, I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be a member of any yeah. group that would have me as a member. And what that means is, is it's not being snobby. It's the, it's the antithesis of being anti-snobby. I like for people to be equal. I don't like somebody saying, well, I'm better than you because I've got experience. Like, go fuck yourself with that. You don't have anything better than the, than the person next to you that has experiences in a different sense of experiences. Just because you're a vested paranormal investigator doesn't, does not diminish the experiences of the individual who is not a vested paranormal investigator. Meaning... Their experiences are as valid as your experiences in that realm. That doesn't make them less valid as a person. Because in reality, everybody's experiences that you bring in to this environment are all going to be different no matter what. So the first thing that I like to do is is just say, everybody, take your big boy pants off and you're now going to be children. In the sense that nobody's going to be saying, I'm better than you and you're better than me. You know, I'm better than you or you're better than me and I'm smart. And I I say, no, 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 I don't want that. You guys have got to start with this. And I set the tone the second and you guys have seen, you know, from the experiences. When when people come in, I say, all right, let's start with this. I'm going to curse a blue streak just to break down all the barriers and to let everybody know that you're not just coming into a location that's a paranormal investigation. You're coming to my house. And therefore, you're going to take your gosh darn shoes and socks off and you're going to run around in the sand and going to play around like kids. You're not going to have cares. You're not going to have your predisposed sense of self here. You're going to be a person that's here to enjoy yourself. And you're all going to be equal. And everybody's going to learn to be able to get along. And because the team that I have between Phil, Lilia, Steve, and Alma, and Larry, and some of the other people, I don't. I make sure that they are humble in a sense, and they're honest, and there's a sense of camaraderie, and that we're all here to, to have fun, first and foremost. I know most paranormal investigators would say, you're not here to have fun. It's like, the hell you are. You're in my house. And the spirits are going to take you with your gosh darn extra starch in your collars and your extra starch in your pants and your gosh darn jock straps wrapped around your gosh darn nuts so tight that you're going up three octaves and talking. I want you to be chill. I want you guys to be very, very, very much at home. And what I mean is, is when you come into my house, there's not this stuffiness. There's not this kind of air of... You're in David's house. It's a museum. Don't touch anything and make sure that you walk gently upon the floor. I don't care if you hop and stomp. I want you to be feeling comfortable, like you're in your own home, with respect and integrity and a sense of feeling like you don't have to worry about somebody looking at you strange, like, oh my God, they're looking at me because I'm wearing different pants than they are. I want it to be so chill and so relaxed an environment that... People aren't going to feel like, oh, I can't ask any questions, I'm afraid. It's like, no. If you have a question I say to, off the beginning, ask it. There are no dumb questions. There's just dumb people that are afraid to ask questions. Because if you don't ask, you can't 
find out an answer of things you don't know. And in this environment, I want you to understand you got the freedom to be and express yourself. No one's going to chastise you. No one's going to slap you on the wrist and say, stupid, wrong, bad, wrong, no, don't. That's not the way to, for people to experience anything, to learn and do it. You know, to get, have an environment where people are conducive, or it's conducive for people to get to know people. I've had so many people come out of these investigations telling me how many people they've met, and through the years they say, I'm still friends with this person, I still hang around with them, and I met them at your house, and I thank you for that. And I go, I, I, I gain a sense of appreciation by that, that others have that experience and can take that on for those memories for the rest of their life. That's what it is. That's, that's what it's about. It's not about how much money you have or what this or who's smarter. It's about just being able to, to appreciate somebody else that's different than you in an environment that's somewhere that you've never been and that all of your preconceived notions of what you're going to experience here basically get thrown into the fireplace and heap of the, of the logs and burnt into smithereens because whatever you think you're going to get when you come here, it's not what you're going to say when you leave here. After you've been here, you're going to say something totally different than what you are predisposed to think you're going to experience. And that's what I kind of like to do is to bring people in and make it in a sense a type of a social environment where the spirits feel comfortable, where the people feel really comfortable and stuff can happen. And it does. Well, it's like like people said to me, goes, you know, think that the spirits are upset. It's like, no, they kind of actually enjoy the interaction with people. I mean, that's what people don't understand. There's these preconceived notions that the you know, spirits are upset. You're having parties. You're explaining. It's like, really? Is that what you think? Is that a projection of your limited experience in life and how to socialize and interact with people, maybe? Because what I've seen is the spirits like it when people are here. Even during my birthday party last year, my friend Chris and Christina, his, his, his wife, um, went down to the third level with Tim Rose and Shannon um, <laughs> to do a little EVP session. And the spirit took umbrage with that after 20 minutes. He basically said, hello, what are you doing in my bedroom? And we heard it on their tape recorder and also their digital recorder and on the closed circuit cameras. And at first I thought the spirit was being a pig and being a bastard and like saying, you know, you shouldn't be in my bedroom. What are you doing in here? How dare you? And then I took it another step further and I said, wait a second. Maybe the spirit was saying, what are you doing in my bedroom? And why are you, the hell are you in here? And why are you not upstairs at David's birthday? He's having a birthday party with other people. There's 30 people upstairs and you four decided to scum the party to come downstairs and do an EVP session. Well, the spirits weren't pleased with that is what I personally believe took place. And that's what that meant. So it goes to show you, you know, people's interpretations are projections more than they're the actual experience that's going on and the, in, the incident that's really taking place. So you're doing another two house investigation on October 13th and 14th. And where can people find tickets for that? Well, if people want to come and join us for this seven-hour ghost investigation, they can go to www.theomen, and that's spelled O-M-A-N, house.com. 
And um, tickets for the seven-hour ghost hunt are $105, and that includes food and drink. And I don't mean cheese and crackers. I don't mean little craft self-stairs with a little plastic spoon, knife, and a, some, some salted crackers and a little thing of American cheese spread. No, I mean full food. I mean we have meatballs. We have mini tacos. We have three types of salsas. We have guacamole. We have hummus and pita bread. We have um, baby carrots and celery sticks. We have three different types of big cookies, all from Costco, of course. We have (laughs) water. We have orange juice. We have cranberry juice. I don't believe that if people are going to go investigating at my home, as my mother taught me as a child, when you have company over, you put out a spread of food so that makes them feel welcome and and that they're in a home, in an environment that they feel very, very at home and at ease with. And you let them know that they're special to you. And I've always done that every single time when I have guests and company come over. And then you're looking at me like, where the hell's the spread here? I don't see a goddamn thing. I see an empty table with some gosh darn cones and some other shit. Well, I didn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm so sorry that I didn't exactly put out the spread for you guys tonight. But after we're done, we'll munch, I promise. I've got some stuff. Well, I'll, you've been cleaning. Break out. So you, you were yeah, doing I, stuff all day. Yeah, I know. But you, I just thought, it's like, gee, Sharon just said, he goes, you son of a bitch, you idiot. You just told me you had a whole spray every time company goes. What are you trying to make them look like? Chopped liver? Oh, I'm sorry. That was my mother. Sorry. Sorry, mom. I knew it was Sharon's just chopped liver because that's not Sharon. That's her mother. You stupid son of a bitch. How dare you do that, you know? Where's the food? Where's the spread? What are you doing? You have company. What are you thinking, you stupid kid? I taught you better than this. Oh, did you hear that? Yeah. Yes, I definitely it, heard that. I think was was it one of your figures? Was that one of the figurines? I don't know. Let me go double check and take a quick gander. We'll be right back. <laughs> I was going to say, Mom, really? Okay, it is. Huh. That's interesting, though. The figurines have not been knocked over the whole time you've been here. Yeah, because we both came over and looked at the beginning. Right. Very interesting. That was a. But the fact that it made the sound, it was like, so it wasn't my mom. It was mom. I told you. Where's the food? Why didn't you? You got food. You gotta put out some food for the guests. My God. So it was not the figurine being knocked over. It wasn't the figurine, but there was somebody. Like I said, we've had a few moments where they've literally knocked something or tapped something. Or that almost something. sounded to me like a finger snap or something. Almost. It was like. It sounded like a like, oh, a, like a knuckle a knuckle wood. snap. Yeah. Like, it was. It was definitely something present. In, that was definitely in the in the yeah. in the den. Yeah. That was definitely coming from the den. That Wait, was a trip. Gonna, let me, let what? me know if this sounds like it. Oh, Mike's trying to recreate the sound. Okay, go for it. No. It was higher pitched than that. You know, if you want to, to write down the time, it's 10.08, we will say it is. It's, we can go down to the office and we can take a look at the closed circuit camera. Oh. I was going to, son of a... Bitch, when we had that sound that we heard over here, if we had the time code, we could look at it because uh, they've got the camera there, camera there. We have three cameras that are all right in proximity to where we are right now. Spirits, thank you. <laughs> I so appreciate it. Oh. You can knock a figurine over if you like, you know. Oh. They'd appreciate it too, you know. And you can speak into the microphones <laughs> if you like. That no, was a that computer. Was, that's a computer. <laughs> that, that was a good time. That's somebody on Facebook Live yeah. uh, chiming in. 
By the way, how many people out there watching us? Let's see. Oh, we're down to seven. Well, Boy, I bored the crap out of you. 30 to seven. Well, you we, seven are stalwart. We've, been, we've been going a while. No. Uh, something about the, um, the experience that you were describing of uh, people, the two-house experience. You're wearing a T-shirt for our house at the end of the drive. Yes, I'm wearing, wearing one of my older T-shirts, yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh. that. Oh God, my 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 Odyssey. Let's say this is this is this, this is the Omen Odyssey. Is the house at the end of the drive? Yeah, it's a motion picture I made. I was inspired to make by the um, by one Sharon Tate. Her spirit came through and gave me a vignette about 13 years ago of a guy driving up the driveway, and that apparently was me in a convertible '66 Mustang. And I remember in the vignette, I turn to my left and I look and I see this, this drop-dead, blonde-haired girl dressed in 1960s attire walking up the driveway. And I remember just, it was, this vignette was probably about a 10-second vignette. I remember seeing myself in the car and I turned and I said, oh my God, she's smoking hot. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's was like, oh, wait, turn. And I regained my focus on the drive, on the street, and I n- noticed I'm about to go down the slope. I turned the steering wheel to the right to avoid going down the slope and I regained my, um, my bearing and then it cuts, the camera cuts to the side of my face and as it drifts across the front of my face towards the rear view mirror, it cuts to the rear view mirror and there's nothing there. And I was like, what the hell was that? And I was like, what, that, that, that's like a mini movie, what was that? And I remember hearing a voice say, write it down. It's like, write, write, what down? That, that little scene? What the hell? And I was like, do it. So I wrote it down. And this went on for about three months. And I think I ended up with about 50 different um, scenes, little mini vignettes, little mini movies in my mind. And I'd written them all down. And when I was, you know, after I'd written mm-hmm. the 50 of them down, I realized that I had a whole set of um, scenes. But they weren't in any kind of an order. It was any type of organized fashion. They were just rambling mini little vignettes. And I got a friend of mine who's a writer, and I said, Jim, I said, you got to come over here. And, oh, I'll come over there if you make me dinner. And my friend, Jim Vines, was <laughs> like, God, you know, anything for free? No, 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 it's got to be, it's got to give me something to go over there, incentive. So I make Jim dinner, and we're talking, and I show him the vignettes, and he said, you know what you've got here? And I'm like, what? And he goes, you have scenes, you've brainstormed scenes that need to be taken out and basically arranged. And it's like, What? He goes, here. So he takes the scissors and he literally takes the paragraphs and cuts the paragraphs up. And it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. I'll never forget. And he goes, what you need to do is we need to put these scenes in a, some semblance of order and then we'll make connected, connecting scenes that are, that are transition scenes that go from one scene to the other. I'm like, going, I, I don't understand what the hell you're saying. He goes, this is, this is the process of writing. And it's like, I'm not a writer. He goes, well, I am. I'm not a screenwriter. He's a screenwriter. So we spent the next couple of months, and I spent the next couple of months making dinner for Jim and uh, paying him a few bucks to basically help me turn the, these little scenes into a feature film, which has turned into the script for House at the End of the Drive and um, made it into a motion picture. And I spent the last number of years re- re-editing, re-shooting, overhauling, reassembling the motion picture. We had Alan Howarth of John Carpenter fame uh-huh. get involved and redo the score. And um, I've decided that Hollywood won't take me seriously until I um, make a name for myself in some way, shape, or form. 
So I basically have decided to table the film and put it on the back burner and uh, go about this in a different way. And the way I'm going about it is I'm writing a book about my experiences here in the house. Um, The title has not been decided yet, but I wanted to document the whole story of my experiences here in the house from beginning to to now. (laughs) Close to saying beginning to middle end, but it's not ended, so it's certainly not um, there. And write it in two volumes, you know, going from 1998 to 2008 and 2009 to 2017. Um, And that way, if that takes hold and people are intrigued by the book, I would think that that'll hopefully open up uh, some venues for the movie to get uh, where I want it to be, which is in the movie theater. Well, it's wonderful that this experience is finding its way into your life in a creative form, too. So it's affecting everything. Oh, yes. <laughs> you you can say that again. One of my ex-girlfriends couldn't stand it in this. I was like, between you and the ghost, I got to get out. I can't stand it. It's like a prison. It's like a prison. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Boom. <laughs> so, I mean, and I've, had, I've lost a few dates when the spirits have chimed in. And then I thought about it. It's like, you know, maybe they know something I don't. <laughs> and the fact that they're having them leave might not be such a bad thing that if, in fact, they can see a few steps ahead of me, they might have a better insight into who they are and what I'm not to be dealing with down the road. So maybe, in effect, it's kind of um, been a, uh, a good filtration system, let us say, for some people that I don't need to have in my life. So that's also, also a nice way to put it. Well, uh, I always have believed that uh, I don't trust anybody that animals don't trust. Maybe you have the same thing going on with the spirits. Well, I do have four cats and two dogs, so they're the first line of defense. But there's nothing like a, four, a second line of defense called spirit eyes, since they can see far well beyond what a dog's comprehension can, and they certainly seem to be looking out for me. So I, um, I, uh, I almost want to say I have a symbiotic relationship with the spirits where I look out for their best interests for the most part, and they look out for mine. So contrary to what people are like, don't you get free? I was like, no, I, I live here quite happily and, and contently, and I quite uh, honestly have no problems with it. I, uh, as I've said before, you have far more to fear from the living than you do the dead. So as of now, the only way to see the, the film is to do the VIP tour, correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Very funny. I, I appreciate that. Well, obviously, Mike, I'll make a con- I'll make obviously concessions to you, <laughs> Russell. You That's not what I was still. getting at. But I'm saying yes. If they, I would if love people, to see it. If people would like to see the movie right now, the only way to see it, it would be on the 13th and the 14th, and to get yourself a VIP pass package ticket for that event. Um, yes, that's one way you can see it. While drinking mimosas, apparently. Well, yes, exactly. That's right. On Sunday, you bet your ass. On Sunday, I will definitely be making mimosas because I'll be breathing a sigh of relief that the weekend went off without a hitch and it was a pleasant you know, celebration of the, uh, the weekend to be able to pull that off. All right, so you've been here for years and you've been interacting with the spirits for years. Time out. Yes. Did you guys just hear something funny? I thought that was one of your either. I thought it was a I, cat. It, unless it was me. Wait. No, it came from over here. Yeah, that that sound didn't sound like a cat. It sounded like something was being like almost like I want to say it sounded like something was on the glass. I I don't know. It was an acoustic signature. I 
didn't recognize. Hmm. I definitely heard something there. Uh, um, yeah, no, write I, that, write I, that down, 1018, because I'll look it up uh, on the camera. Uh, wow, that was weird. No, I actually thought, because I heard it over my left shoulder, that I thought it was one of the cats. I heard something. It sounded like a, uh, I want to say metal or some type of a, it, it didn't say, it sounded, I, I, it's something I'd never heard before, but I know it wasn't, definitely wasn't the cat. That sounded like something else. But I've got dog ears. What can I say? I hear, I hear the stupidest things. I can hear a Porsche engine go 928, 914, 930, 9, 944. You know, those old, old Porsche engines and cars. That's all. <laughs> Before your time. So. Uh, where I was going with that was, is there one encounter that stands above all others? Or is there one encounter that you... Clar- that clarified something or explained something or any of those things that I guess what is your most memorable encounter if you have one because it sounds like you've had so many I've had a lot of memorable encounters um, I hate to say it um, want to say that they're all different I want to say they're all different classifications of encounters such as um, all right I've had for instance I've only seen one apparition in my entire life, and that was Jay Sebring 13 years ago. Um, so that's one type of interaction, um, Which seeing for, an, actual, uh, an, an just, apparition. Just to clarify, yeah. um, he was the... He was Sharon's ex-fiance. He was the hairdresser, also the hairstylist yeah. to the stars, yes. And to be honest with you, uh, men of this, of, of this day and age owe Jay Sebring a debt of gratitude in the sense that before Jay you would be able to go to your neighborhood barber, which was a guy that had a flagpole in front of his, his store that was red and blue and white. <clears throat> and he basically had a style that was pretty much from the 1930s, and he basically kept on shooting and cutting that same style over and over again. Um, Jay was instrumental in, in the fact that he had seen, as being a hairstylist for men in the movies and television, uh, in the entertainment business, he started saying, you know, saying men need to be taken care of as much as women do when it comes to taking care of their hair and managing their appearance and whatnot. And he was the one that actually became the one that made men's hairstyling something of a thing, I guess you could say. Um, instead of just taking a bowl and putting it over a guy's head and <laughs> cutting around it, he, he designed different types of styles and techniques he also actually created products for men to use, such as um, hair relaxant. That was the, most men that have uh, cur- curly or coarse hair, which Jay was one of them, had kind of a coarse type of a hair. In the 60s, it was predominantly, as you say, the look was straight hair. So Jay just went out and made himself a product that was a hair relaxant that you could put in your hair that would give you straight hair, even if you had curse, coarse type of hair or kinky hair. Um, so yes, Jay was uh, the apparition that I saw ten year, uh, 13 years ago. And I mean, there are other incidences that I've had, um, such as like, as you say, when an object apports from one room to another. I had a, a famous incident where I had a 35 millimeter roll of film that I'd taken out of the camera from some investigation I'd done, and I put it over on top of my bar countertop came back upstairs a couple of hours later to rush it down to Thrifty to have it processed, and it's gone. And I'm like, wait, where the flying... I know I, I know it was up here, and at the time I didn't have cameras in the house, so I couldn't go and review the cameras to see, but it was almost like I know I've left it there. 
and I know I put it there because I just took it out of the camera. The camera's still sitting there, so I wasn't going to take it anywhere else because literally a couple of hours later, I was planning on taking it down to, to Rite Aid to be processed. Four days goes by. I can't find the camera. I mean, I can't find the film, and I'm dismissed it. And I said, all right, whatever. It's, I, I must have misplaced it. I go downstairs to my bedroom and into the bathroom, and on, in the bathroom on top of a bottle of wine, an empty bottle of wine, is said roll of film. Hmm. Now, I have been in my bathroom for the past four days and four nights, and I have walked right by that, that, that vanity, and I've walked right by that gosh darn, that, that empty bottle of wine that was sitting there on the vanity. There was no way in hell that said you know, roll of film was on there for the past four days. And I didn't have any housekeeper come here during those four days, so I know there was no one in the house that could have done that. That's an example of something that was strange and of, of, of something that, and a category of something apporting. Mm-hmm. Um, then you like, for instance, there's the EVP session. What's what's one of my craziest EVPs where I've actually heard a spirit speaking? Um, had a girlfriend whose ex-husband was was a lunatic who was chasing her and stalking her and stuff. And we had an incident where he was calling up the house and doing crank calls. Um, Later that night, when we went to bed, I kept hearing the spirits overtly say, get her out, get her out, get her out, get her out. The following day, I said, you know something? I said, this isn't going to work. I think you're going to have to move out. And she moved out. But it was clear as a bell that I heard the voices saying that. Um, I've had an experience here at this dining room table where I had five people here for dinner and a glass of wine slid across the dining room table on its own in front of all of us. And the wine was literally hitting one side of the, the glass to the other without going over the edge. Um, I've had incidents where the faucets in the bathroom have turned on by themselves right in front of my eyes. Um, wow. That's like, that, yeah, like I said, there's all different categories of experiences and things that have occurred here. So it's kind of like, say, okay, what, like seeing an apparition or seeing an object move or seeing the figurines do their thing. Oh, um, Another incident would be right over at the bar where I have my poster that's signed by all the actors from the film. Um, during one investigation three years ago, I was about three feet from the uh, painting hanging on the wall, talking to people at, in front of the bar, and we were discussing, explaining the whole thing about the paranormals at the beginning of the evening, and I heard a voice say, to your left... So I turned on my left, and right as I did, I literally witnessed that glass-framed piece, poster, literally lift off the wall and slowly lurch forward and then start to slide, come down towards the, towards the ground, all in slow motion. I turned to my left as, as, as it continued turning to my left and grabbed it, literally grabbed it three inches. Did you just hear something? You did. I know you did because I can see it on the expression on your face. You reacted. And Russell, you got the yeah. same expression. You just heard that. Yeah. And what I heard was like a voice going, hmm. Time, 1026. Write it down. We're going to review that on the goddamn cameras because I heard that right over here. And that, my, my laptop doesn't have audio except what you're hearing. So... Um, I turned to my left and I grabbed it and literally caught it three inches from hitting the ground. And the seven people in front of the bar all said, and we had recorded their statements afterwards, what happened. They said, 
it moved in slow motion. It literally fell in slow motion. I said, I made one person said, I saw it peel off the wall slowly and then come down, not just drop quickly, but slowly. And I grabbed it literally three inches from hitting the ground and people were like, oh my God. I said, if I didn't, that glass, two foot by three foot pane of glass would have shattered and probably hit at least four of the people that were in front of the bar because it was just so close. Um, I mean, that's another crazy experience. I mean, and of course, Mike's experience with the butcher block, which I wasn't actually in, involved in, but I witnessed the video footage. Um, countless experiences we've had here. Um, I, I can't even explain, you know, like I said, it's all, all different categories and all different types of um, experiences, those that have been told to me. What's this saying? The battery's running low. All right, look, folks, I know you're out there watching. I'm going to turn this off and cut it out. So see you later. Enjoy the video. Thank you very much. I'm out. <laughs> well, that was fun. So, I mean, like I said, the things that have happened here that I've personally been personally experienced, um, you know, fall into several different categories. And then the experiences that other have related, others have related to me are, in their own sense, others, you know, mm -hmm. categories. Um, I was going to say, but overall, nothing that's... Here's one thing I'll have to say. Nothing that has ever left me shaking in my boots that has still left me scared to tears and terrified in any way, shape, or form. They've all been experiences that I've been able to say that's... That's an interesting experience. I don't know how to explain it. I can't um, comprehend. In, in, I'm sorry. Sure. Even the apparition appearing? I, I, I just, I'm trying to imagine my own reaction to that. I think I would be really rattled by that. No. Honestly, uh, I, I, I forgot to mention, my mom was, um, was dying of cancer, of pancreatic cancer at the time. And it was mid-July, and she passed away eight months later in February. Um, that was March, right, March 22nd. Um, my girlfriend at the time was flying, was a flight attendant flying through Europe. So when the apparition appeared, I literally sat up in my bed and said, okay, what's going on? Are you here to tell me my mom's died? And what's funny is, is he kept, he kept his, he had his left arm extended, his index finger pointing outward, and he's doing a quarter turn. And at the time, I remember saying he's pointing towards the driveway, He's pointing towards the driveway, down the driveway. Um, later on, six, seven years later, after the apparition appeared, they started construction on the property next door to me. Excuse me, the house next door to me. And then I realized what he was pointing to was the location of this new house that was being you know, constructed there in a most unethical type of a business, building, uh, uh, how would you say, a building uh, building form what they decided to do was instead of taking advantage of the slope of the hillside and building their house on the slope mm -hmm. they decided to go extreme and what i mean extreme is that they put 40 i think it was 35 caissons at the edge of the street and then dug straight down 60 feet to flat to the land to the slope and then it literally eviscerated and removed the entire slope so they they took out about i forgot how many 80 feet um, down the drive, going from my house, going down the driveway, 60 feet down the actual, the actual mountain and cutting out a whole slice of mountain. So you took out a triangular piece of mountain all the way down 
60 feet and basically made a flat pad of land and put in another 40 caissons. I think the property's got like 75 caissons total. And built the the first two floors of the house out of concrete. Solid concrete with reinforced rebar. So, I mean... It's crazy, like I said, and, and what's interesting is, is that place is, I've seen activity in front of it in the middle of the day when the, uh, the workers were there, the uh, five-gallon, it was a three-gallon igloo uh, water jug spilled and, as you say, it fell up the driveway. And I mean, it was on the slope and it literally tilted up the driveway and fell over in front of the laborers. And they told me about this and I was like, hmm. What? And they showed me where they were. And I was like, that's impossible. He goes, yeah, that's what they thought. They didn't understand how the, the, bo- the, bo- the bucket turned and hit up the street and fell over. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to say what's, what... <clears throat> it, 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 nothing, like I said, it doesn't really bother me just because my attitude is such that, okay, if you want to say something to me, fine, communicate with me. If it's dramatic, then it's dramatic. If that's what you're trying to do, I don't... Um, I guess I don't just jump, you know, out of my skin because there's a spirit in front of me trying to talk to me. I just go, okay, talk to me. What do you got to say? I'm, I'm all ears. I'm very empathic about what they are trying to communicate because there's no point in getting all bent out of shape because they're appearing in front of you. There's a purpose for their communication. So to treat it otherwise is kind of... Um, Poor community, poor etiquette is what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's like, what do you mean? I can't understand it. Well, you don't understand French. Well, but I'm still speaking with my with my hands gestures. Can you understand that? It's like, oh well, I'll focus on that. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't want to say that I'm desensitized. I'm just, um, I'm afraid for things that are that are worth being afraid of. Is what I'm saying to you. So far, I've yet to hear of somebody dying from seeing a ghost outside of a self-imposed <laughs> heart attack. I mean, I don't, it, it doesn't, it, I don't know. It just doesn't, um, it doesn't phase me, I guess you could say. It doesn't, you know, stuff in movies phases me, but it phases me for the moment. It's like, okay, that scared me. Great, next. It doesn't linger. It's not like like, like a skunk's fragrance going, yeah, still can smell like crap. Oh, God damn, son, <laughs> it's still bugging the crap out of me. I just don't, I just don't play that I guess I don't know I know that a lot of people want me to and that might be the case and you can get Zach to jump through a hoop of fire and as far as as I'm concerned a hoop of shit and he'll do it Um, I don't play that way I don't know I just um, it doesn't serve me it doesn't make sense to me it doesn't um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't affect me like that that's it's it's almost like it's like there's more important things to be scared of Mm. than that you know, it's not, I don't know. It just, I mean, and it's not like I wasn't always this way. I was a kid. I was terrified of the dark. I was afraid of ghosts and goblins and Frankenstein's monster and mummies and vampires, the whole freaking nine yards. And I'd have to say that when my mom passed away, um, March 22nd, 2005, and I rode, drove on up to the house at 710, 20 minutes after she had died and the whole house was blacked out and the place was illuminated with candles and I said, what the hell's going on here? I said, we're not religious. Why the candles? He goes, no, 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 no. My dad says, the second, literally seconds after your mother died, 
all the electricity went out in the house. Hmm. Later, I come to find that it wasn't the house, it wasn't the neighborhood, it was the entire city of West Los Angeles. The electricity went completely out for a number of hours. So when I came in there and I saw my mom still sitting in the bed where she had been, where she had, you know, in the bedroom that I had grown up, in the house that I had grown up in as as a child, and there she was sitting there, stone cold, dead. All of my... Fears and rationals. I just heard something of my... Yeah. yeah, they're here. That's my mom. Thanks, Ma. Um, all my fears about death and about ghosts and about zombies basically went out the window in a heartbeat. I looked and I saw my, my mother's... <clears throat> excuse me. Remains there on the bed, frozen. And I'll never forget it. She was like... She was like in, in motion and just frozen, like, just, just, it's hard to explain. If you've never seen it and you've never experienced it, I can't, um, can't, can't give you insight into what, what I went through. It just, um, was pretty astounding. And I mean, I've had my pets that have died and they've put them down and whatnot. And that was something, you know, it's like I say, it was just so personal because it was my mother. It was the woman that, raised me that bore me that brought me into this world and I just sat there and I I looked at her and I said damn everything she had ever said about it was true which was in essence this when you're dead you're dead you're not coming back and blah 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 fine um but to look at her corpse and to just see her frozen in that moment and to touch her and to just to feel I hate to say this but it felt like concrete it was cold it was solid it was not, there was no, um, how should I say this? There was no give. There was no, the muscles, there was no pliability. It was almost, I hate to say this, and people are going to kill me for saying this. It was almost like touching a fake, a woman with fake boobs. It was solid. It was hard. It was, there was no give to the, to the, to the, to the touch. The skin wasn't pliable. It was like just solid, like cold. And I just said, so that's not my, my sister then came and she goes, that's mm-hmm. not my mom. She came out and goes, that's not my mom. My mom is gone, she said. I, I finally, like, I connected with those terms and those words saying, yeah, she's gone. The body is there, but the spirit, the energy, the, the life force, is, as has been, it's been called, was gone. It was just removed. It was just so abrupt and so surreal. And my mom used to say to me, all that stuff is make-believe. Make all the stuff you see in the movies about zombies and vampires and ghouls and blah, blah, blah. It's all make-believe. It's all bullshit. Because in reality, it was, this is it. And it's like everything she ever said about it, it's just like, wow. It, 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 this is the reality of it. Everything else, you know, the religiosity bullshit. <laughs> just good night. Goodbye, Charlie. It's very personal. And I just said, you know something? Everything I know about ghosts and living with them, it's just came clear saying, you know something? Reality is, is it's all bullshit you see on TV and movies. The, the reality is, is it's, it is what it is. Death is that, that impermeable veil that we will never cross as a human being, only once and only once. And as I remember from reading as a kid, you know, Greek mythology about Hades and the river Styx, that once you cross the river Styx, you cannot ever come back. 
And that's every everything changed in my whole perception about the paranormal and it, it, it just it all all the myths just just evaporated just as as like a like an ice like an iceberg hitting the sun it vanished and vaporized within a millisecond it was all gone and ever since then I've I've looked at the paranormal with total different abject respect and understanding and and um translated it into my life and said you know something you go through this life once one shot and one shot only better learn to to ride the highs and lows because that's all there is there are highs and there are lows it's not all one high and not one low it's it's a mixture of things and when you die and depart from this earth that's it baby it's it's the end of it all as jim morrison said um the end of everything that we know it's 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 the impermeable it's the it's the end it's it's the it's the finality of it all it just um it gave me different sense of of views of things of successes and failures in life and a different appreciation for other people's hardships and struggles and my own hardships and struggles and saying you know something to to live that and and experience all that i have it's brought me to this place. It's it's worth something that that should be shared with others to help them um, deal with their own fears. Because life is tough, but it shouldn't be lived in fear. Because if you live in fear, you're not living. You're only living half of your. You're only existing. You're not living. And that's kind of the thing I try to like express to people about the paranormal. It's it's not what you think it is it is not as bad as people have told you and those that that want that type of experience of fear i think they almost have to have it that they can't live in in happiness unless they're in a sense of fear in a state of mind that's fearsome based i don't know i i don't know i really don't i just know from my experiences and those that i've experienced through others that have been here and other places that i've been to um that uh, fear is the last thing you need in the paranormal field. That's just baseless drama and nonsense. What am I in a morgue? You guys stop <laughs> talking. Christ, I put you to sleep, but I, I slip you a Mickey and you're now passed out or dead. Well, just, how can you follow just, that up? Just man. letting it sink in. I don't man. know. <laughs> Hell, I just, whatever that was, was coming out of my mouth was probably more from the spirit world than from me, myself, and I. The three of us in my head are going, who the hell said all that? <laughs> <laughs> Me is going, I didn't say that. I was going, I didn't say that either. Myself uh, is going, who the hell was that babbling? It wasn't you two, was it? <laughs> no, like I said, I channel spirits like to like to communicate when they have an opportunity. So I said, all right, fine, I'm a vessel. You want to use me as a mouthpiece? Be my guest. What am I going to say? No. They're going to go, really? You said no? Well, here's a, here's a kick in the nuts. How does that feel? It's like, <laughs> I don't like that very much. I'd rather not. And that's an, that's an homage to late Jerry Lewis, which a lot of people are, you know, you know you're not supposed to, you know, you know, there's an old saying, you don't shit on somebody's grave the day they're buried. That doesn't seem to be the case for Jerry. They seem to be crapping all over him left, right, and center today. And it's like, you know, saying you can't, until you walk and go through what he went through, you can't say otherwise. And I don't know him personally, so I don't say what, what others have said about him. He was impatient. Look, I, I only knew one person that, that, that gave me a sense of that kind of um, personality in the uh, entertainment business. And he's been dead for 10 years, so now I can talk about this without any um, repercussions. 
with your permission, Richard, and I'm speaking about Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson was my godfather's very, one of my godfather's very first managerial clients. And this goes back to 1960, when Richard Dawson was in London working as a stand-up comedian, and his nickname was Tricky Dick. And the, um, the, the people, I forgot what the name of the production company was, that was doing the, sh the pilot for Hogan's Heroes, you know, wanted to get um, Richard to play the part of Newkirk. Well, Richard at the time was a nobody in London. He was a stand-up comedian, nobody in the United States, very, very limited, you know, appearances here. And uh, Leonard, my godfather, brought Richard the, 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 the role, the, the, the piece, the copy, for Richard to read for the part of Newkirk. Well, Richard, the pompous, arrogant son of a bitch, said, who the fuck do you think I am? Because I want to play the part of Hogan. But Richard, Hogan's an American serviceman, an American flyer. He goes, you can't pull off an American accent. You've got the thickest goddamn English accent. The fuck? You know, Richard, don't sit there and don't, don't get upset. Richard, don't, don't give me attitude. Look, this is a part. They asked for you to play this role. Not many people are asking you to play any role at all for anything, Richard, let alone to be in a pilot, which we don't even know what's going to happen to it. And you're bitching about the fact that you and your arrogance want to be the lead, the main character. And I remember the story that my godfather told me. And he said, you know, that son of a bitch, I had to knock and kick him. And finally, he agreed to do the role for the pilot. And he's sensational at it. He did a smashing job. That still wasn't good enough for him. He always thought he was, you know, I'm better than this. I'm better than this. It's a slight on my behalf to do this part. It's not enough. The point being is, is that I then worked at ABC and uh, was on Family Feud and Richard had... From the outsider's point of view, here it is. I'm a page at ABC and Richard's on set and Richard comes in and is talking to somebody, a producer, and Richard hears somebody talking on a telephone, and he turns around with with force, and, and I'm in the freaking on the, on the set as well. And he goes, "Who?" He goes, "You shut the fuck up! I'm trying to talk here. Who the hell do you think you are?" And the page, the girl page, stopped. His eyes popped like a gosh darn cherry bomb went off in her head. And she's like, ah, ah, and she starts crying her eyes out. And Richard's like, I don't fucking believe this. And of course, he's taken aback by the fact that he's getting upset and she's taking it the wrong way and not being professional about it. And she's crying. And later on, I come to find out, I said, you know, they said, you know, Richard's got a bit of a temper. And I said, you're telling me. I said, I've, I said, I've known him all my life. I said, pretty much. And I said, yeah. He goes, well, he goes, you have to understand. He goes, Richard is clothed. The clothiers that, that put Richard's wardrobe together is Botany 500. I said, yeah. I said, I know. I see it every, at the end of the credits every damn show. I said, yeah. But he goes, did you know that Richard, that the Botany 500 makes Richard wear those clothes because they're being paid for sponsorship and he has to wear what they give him? And I said, within reason. He goes, yeah. But did you notice that he's always wearing a vest? And it's like, yeah. He goes, 
do you know how many layers of clothes he's wearing on set? And I said, yeah. He goes, do you know how fucking hot it is inside of that? He's wearing wool, a wool slacks with a wool jacket, with a wool vest, with a cotton shirt, with a wool tie. He goes, do you know why the gosh darn set is 60 degrees? Every time you go in there, it's like an icebox. I said, yeah. He goes, he goes, because Richard can't be in a room where it's 70 degrees because if it's 70 degrees in the air, it's 100 degrees under his clothes. So he's constantly perspiring and it's constantly wearing on him and it's irritating him. And I said, oh, son of a bitch. I said, oh my God. And he goes, you don't understand the kind of stresses he has to go through in wardrobe and makeup. And he has to, he's working, he's, he does five shows. And I said, and he says, and it's hot as hell for him. So he's very short tempered because it just plays on him and it really bugs the crap at him. So when he's talking to somebody, he doesn't want to be disturbed because he's wearing these costumes. The talk about a monkey suit that he's saying, he, Richard's wearing this monkey suit and it just, it wears on him. So his nerves are really worn thin and he doesn't like it when people are disrespecting what he thinks. I said, okay, I understand then. But again, it's about the understanding of what somebody else is going through. And so when people say, oh, why aren't you afraid? It's like, because I am able to put myself in somebody else's shoes and detach myself from my own personal perspective and place in this existence and say, how would I feel if I were in their shoes? And it allows, you to t- it allows me at least to say, oh, geez, Louise, and go, you know something? I have a better appreciation for who they are, and I understand where they're coming from, and it allows me to breach that, that, that space and the gap in between where they are and where I am and say, you know, I understand where you're coming from. And they, in some sense of the word, they appreciate it and they understand that there's somebody there that, that understands them. And that's why I say to the people about the spirits, I said, how would you feel if you were in France and you didn't speak a lick of French and you saw an American, somebody that spoke English, you heard them and you could only hear them from a distance and you're trying to find them and get through all these people that you're going to have that kind of like moment. That's what the spirits are trying to do. They're trying to find somebody that can understand them, can hear them, can relate to them on some level. And you shouldn't feel threatened. You should feel appreciation that a spirit is coming across all these planes of existence to communicate with you because for whatever it is, there's something that resonates in them that's inside of you that's attracting them towards you. Not to harm you, but to find some kind of commonality with you. So that's why I said I, I have a different perspective about people and about situations and things. And in, the most, in, the, in most cases, I like to put myself in the other person's shoes for a second and kind of try to relate to and understand where it is they're coming from. So that's something that's very unique about my perception of things and situations that I've experienced. So that wraps up everything that we wanted to ask you. Um, so thank you so much for your time and letting us talk to you and all of that fun stuff. Is there anything you want to say, put out there, anything like that? Um, no, cause I don't want to get philosophical and I don't want to <laughs> sit there and go on a whole thing about political or whatever. Just one thing I want to say to everybody that's out there listening. Um, and it almost reminds me of something I remember as a kid singing, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the original, not the Wahlberger crappers. Um, No offense, but garbage should be thrown out once a week and never kept on the side of the road for more than one week. And those things are garbage. Um, That I remember something that I saw at the very end of the original Beneath the Planet of the Apes. 
And that's where the whole congregation of, of humans that are ex- still existing under, un, under the earth, they all, at the end, grabbed their, their scalps and pulled off all of their skins. And you had different people of different nationalities shown in the scene. And when they all finally pulled off their flesh, their skin, their outer coat, all you were left with were, were, were human beings with no skin and just, just veins and whatever. And something that the spirits that, that that the spirits would like me to communicate in the sense is that when you take a human being's outer exterior off, you're all the same. And what I mean by that is it doesn't matter the what, what shade of skin you are, where you're from. It's that you're all human beings, and something about that is something that we can't lose sight of. And in these days and these times when we have such I hate to say, you know, um, alt-right consternation about blacks and whites and the Mexicans and the Chinese and all this and that, that you better start to face one simple fact, all of you. You're all a small portion of, of existing human beings, period. You're flesh and blood. You all have hearts. You all have brains. You better start to realize that that's the thing that you all have uniting yourselves. The color of your skin and what's on the exterior is so pointless and so meaningless. When you, when you literally take a person's heart out of a dying person you put into a living person, it's still a heart. It didn't know if it was coming from a black person or a Caucasian or anybody else. So start to realize that we're all human beings trying to get through this existence. And stop browbeating somebody else because of the color of their skin or their nationality. There's no point and no reason for it. Because when you die, as my mother said, you're all going to be left as an empty vessel. And all you're going to be left on this earth is that. And what's going to transcend you will be your spirit and your energy. And you better get it through your head that that's what is really going through and what you are in essence. So start treating everybody like you'd like to be treated. And take that to your, to your grave with you. If you want respect, show respect and, ex- and get respect in return. I'm sick and tired of watching what I'm watching and the disintegration of our country and what's going on with this alt-right and this gosh darn deceptive, disgruntled, dismissive behavior of that we're going to be better off in a clique of our own group. I got news for you. You're wrong. You're fucking wrong. You're not going to be happy because it's then going to be like a pack of rats chewing each other's butts apart because you're not happy about somebody snoring and they're white you're not going to be happy about their accent and they're white or they're black it doesn't matter you are what you are your spirit and soul your body and that incarnation of flesh and blood on the exterior is meaningless what you have is your soul and you better learn to respect others and to have respect for everything living and dead well said um, and out of respect for the spirits, if there's anybody that wants to say anything and have some final words, feel free right now. All right. So uh, October 13th and 14th, um, you can find tickets at theomenhouse.com. And you're also on Facebook and Instagram under The Omen House. And... Thank you once again. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. Thanks for listening.
Don't ask where the hell that came from. Some spirit obviously was really pissed off and wanted something said.